Well, let's turn our Bibles uh, this morning to the book of Mark chapter 4. I began the series last week, uh, and I've called it the heart of it all. You know, it shouldn't amaze me, but it does still constantly amaze me how united or how clear the Holy Spirit is, because if you were ever under the illusion that it's only you that God speaks to, you're about to be surprised because God is saying the same thing to a lot of people. You know, I started this uh, series uh, two Sundays ago, and, um, and it was something that came very strongly by the Holy Spirit, and then um, I introduced it on Sunday, and then at the conference, Solomon and Benny, all they talked about was the heart, yeah, the importance of your heart in business. And I thought, man, everyone listening would think, you know, we put this together, but the Spirit of God just puts things together so well. So I know that this is important. Uh, this is a foundational teaching that you and I need to understand for us to advance and grow in God. Now, Mark chapter 4 um, documents, amongst other things, um, a parable that Jesus uh, taught his disciples. And he, we've come to call it the parable of the sower. Um, and I redefined that a few weeks ago. And Jesus basically said, uh, a sower went out to sow. Uh, and some of the seeds fell on the wayside. And Satan came immediately, and, or the birds of the air came immediately and um, stole uh, the seed. And then he said, some of the seeds fell um, on stony ground. And um, they fell on stony ground and... They grew, but they had no earth. The, the, the roots uh, couldn't sort of um, uh, take root in the, in the ground because of the stones. Uh, and when the sun rose, it shriveled up the plant and it died. And then some fell among thorns. And even though it began to grow, uh, after a while, the thorns grew with it and choked the seed. And then he said, lastly, some fell on good ground and they bore fruit some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Now, now the, the disciples didn't understand what was being taught, and the multitudes didn't understand either. But afterwards, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, explain to us what the parable actually means. Now, if you read from verse 13, it says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So Jesus is uh, giving an exposition uh, concerning the way God's kingdom works. Now the kingdom of God doesn't work like the earthly kingdom. In order for the kingdom of God to produce for you, uh, you need to uh, learn the principles that govern the operation of God's kingdom. It's a powerful kingdom, um, but in order for it to produce for you, you need to align yourself with how the kingdom works. You know, I was saying to the guys on Thursday that um, many years ago, uh, I, I went to, uh, on vacation to the U.S., and at the time, I used to live in England. I know in, in the UK, we, we used to drive, or we still drive, or they now 
they drive on the wrong side of the road, which is the, what side do they drive on? The left side, right? On the right, see? And um, so I, I went on a trip to the States. I know in the States, they drive on the, on the other side of the road. And I went with a friend of mine, and we had this smart idea that we we're going to drive from Pensacola to the Everglades and then drive to Orlando. And I got to do the driving because I like driving. So I'm driving in the U.S., and I find that there's a lot of commotion because I was facing oncoming traffic. And I wondered what the fuss was all about. Um, and somebody kindly instructed me that I was driving on what they considered to be the wrong side of the road. And I was about to get arrested, you know. Uh, so it's important to understand the rules of the kingdom in which you live, in which you operate. The Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 uh, that you and I have been uh, delivered from the power of the authority of darkness and we have been conveyed into the kingdom of his son. We are members of the kingdom of God. We need to learn how the kingdom of God works. Jesus said this is a fundamental principle of the kingdom. He says the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And then he begins to talk about the different kinds of ground that the world, the word can fall on. And we explained last week that it actually should be called the parable of the soils because what the parable teaches us is that the productivity of the word is determined by the soil or the heart on which that word or in which that word is planted. The productivity of the word of God in your life is determined by the state of your heart. Because the sower sows the seed and the seed is the word. The word is powerful. The word of God is creative. But the seed is not the only ingredient that determines the fruitfulness. Because the same seed was planted on different soils, but it only produced in one. Now, if the soil is the heart, which the scripture makes very clear it is, then it means that the state of your heart is what determines the fruitfulness of the word in your life. Say with me, the state of my heart is what determines the fruitfulness of the word. Say it again, the state of my heart is what determines the fruitfulness of the word. Say it again, the state of my heart is what determines the fruitfulness of the word. As Christians, uh, the Lord has ordained that we make great advance this year. But the state of my heart is what determines the fruitfulness of the word. It is not God that determines how fruitful the word is. He has already given us his word. It is the state of my heart that determines how productive the word is in my life. You know, the book of Proverbs chapter 19 verse 3 says, The foolishness of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. Our foolish actions are what causes uh, um, things that happen in our lives that don't glorify God. And the worst thing you can do is to blame God for it. It is not God's fault, it's ours. We need to own that. Okay. Um, one translation puts the same verse this way. The New Living Translation says, 
People ruin their own lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. It is not the word or it's not the Lord that determines the fruitfulness of his word in my life. It is the state of my heart. Another verse um, you should look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Now, I want you to show the message Bible translation of that passage. Before we get into it in depth this morning, I, I just want us to look at some scriptures that talk about the power of your heart in determining what happens in your life. Verse 11 says, Dear, dear Corinthians, Paul writes, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you are living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. So if you are saying that, you know, uh, my resources are limited. If you are saying that my life is small, what the word of God is saying to you is God has ordained that you live in a spacious or a spacious expansive life. Now any smallness that you are feeling right now is not coming from God. Any smallness you are feeling right now is coming from within you. From your heart. Your life is actually bigger than you realize. The only restriction um, that you have imposed on yourself is the thing that is causing you to live your life in a small way. So our heart or the restrictions within our hearts are what determine how far we go in life. Your heart is the umpire of your life. Your heart is your life's referee. It determines what comes in and what stays out. Your heart is the referee of your life. It determines what comes in and what stays out. You know, in Isaiah 54 verse 2, the Bible says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants shall inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. We like those verses, don't we? The Bible says, Expand, enlarge the place of your tent. But from what we are realizing, we understand that no enlargement comes into your life unless there is an enlargement in your heart first. We get that, don't we? Because Jesus said the word is powerful, but the heart is what determines the productivity of the word in your life, not God. I mean, we, we should just settle with that revelation for a bit. And then he says, the smallness you feel is coming from within you. God is not limiting you. You are limiting yourself. And then he says, enlarge the place of your tent. 
Now, the way you enlarge it, you must begin by enlarging your heart first. Because if there is no enlargement on the inside, it doesn't matter what provision is, what provision there is on the outside. You will limit it to what you allow. Because of time, I wouldn't look at all the scriptures, but I'll give you the references. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 12, 35, also quoted in Luke 6, 45. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the architecture, your internal architecture, must be right for it to produce externally in the kingdom of God. In life, but particularly in the kingdom. This is the way the kingdom works. And that's why Jesus said, if you don't understand the parable of the soils, you are not going to understand anything else in the kingdom. This is lesson one. It doesn't matter if you leapfrog to lesson 500, you're coming back to this one. It doesn't matter how far ahead you go, you are going to be sent back to this because it's foundational teaching. And that's why Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the forces of life. Keep your heart. Your heart is so important. Why? Because it determines everything that happens in your life. In this kingdom. Doesn't matter how much you pray. Doesn't matter how many times you go to church. Doesn't matter how much teaching you hear. If your heart is not right, that word will come and it will bounce off you. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. The New Living Translation of that passage puts it this way. It says God. Everyone say God. My goodness. That means it's my responsibility to protect it. It says God your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Wow. That's why Jesus said this is foundational. It says, guard it above all else. There's nothing as important as this one. Because it is going to determine the course of your life. The Message Bible says, keep vigilant over your heart. That's where life starts. Wow. It didn't say that's where life ends. It said that's the beginning. That's the beginning. There are other things you must do after you've guarded your heart. But that's where it starts. It's not the end. It is the beginning. Get it right first and then we'll teach you other things. It says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. So how do you guard your heart so that the kingdom of God will produce for you? Well, what you can do is make sure that it's not what Jesus calls a wayside heart. Make sure it is not a stony heart. Make sure it's not a, a thorny heart. Make sure it is a good heart. 
If we are serious about fruitfulness, you must be serious about the quality or preserving the quality of your heart. And you are responsible for the quality of your heart. Everyone say, I am responsible for the quality of my heart. Oh, say it like, you know, I'm responsible for the quality of my heart. It's what determines the course of our lives. So he begins by saying, on the wayside, when the word was sown, the birds of the air came and stole away the word that was sown. And in the interpretation, when he was explaining the meaning to his disciples, in uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 15, he says, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And I began to expand on that last week or two weeks ago. He says Satan comes immediately. Now the wayside, as I explained, is hard ground. Everyone say hard ground. There are some people that are hard-hearted. A heart that is hard will not receive the word of God. Hard ground is a hard heart created as a result of being downtrodden. So you create a wayside by walking over it. So several people have walked over this heart and it has made the heart hard. So when the word that was meant to bring deliverance was planted in the heart, the heart didn't receive it. The heart rejected it. You should never allow somebody the privilege of um, hardening your heart because it means that you've allowed them to determine the course of your life. Is there anybody that is worth that power over your life? I mean, really. An abusive spouse, an abusive parent. You suffer the pain of the abuse and then you now give them permission to determine the course of your life. I mean, it was tragic and horrific, but don't let that incident now follow you for the rest of your life. It is not worth it. Say to your neighbor, it's not worth it. Irrespective of how legitimate the anger is that you feel, do not give that person or that situation control over your destiny. For the Bible says, if you don't guard your heart and watch over your heart, you are allowing that situation to determine the course of your life. So Jesus said, don't have a hard heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 4, 31. It says, let all bitterness. Everyone say let. Say it again. What does let mean? It means allow. What does that suggest? That it's within our control. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm so bitter. I get you are bitter, but let. Allow. It says, let all bitterness. Wrath. Anger, clamor, 
evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Can you see a commonality between all these things? These are the things that are the result of somebody uh, are the result of offense. The reason why you, have, you, you get into malice is because somebody has done something that, ups, that has upset you. The reason why you are bitter is, I mean, you were just going about your own business, trying to do your own work, and somebody with the spirit of the devil came into your life. Clamor, evil speaking. You are speaking against them because they've done wrong. Are you with me? It says, allow, let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted. What is the opposite of being tender? Hard. This is the, uh, uh, this is the solution to a hard heart. He says, be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You are responsible for whether your heart remains hard or is tender. The solution to a hard heart is forgiveness. That is what makes your heart tender. And the reason why you are able to forgive is because you remember. Because you have a good memory. The only reason why we are able to forgive is because we have a good memory. And what does our memory teach us? That we have been so forgiven. Are you with me? And because we remember that we have been so forgiven, we remember all the sins we've been committing from our birth. And Christ forgave us, and not only did he forgive us, even after he forgave us, we, keep, we kept sinning, and then he forgave us again, and then we kept sinning, and then he forgive us again. And then he, he just keeps forgiving us. So because we have a good memory, we're able to release others that offend us. Irrespective of what they have done, we're able to go before God and say, God, I release them by faith because you have so forgiven me. I choose not to act from that place of hurt. I forgive them. I pray for them. I bless them. I speak well concerning them. And when you do that, your heart that is hard begins to become tender again. And it becomes fertile ground for the word of God. You can always tell a hard heart. They can be in a service like this and not hear a word that's been said. Are you with me? Because you can't compartmentalize hardness. So as I'm speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Satan is right there. And he's taking the word. It just bounces off. Don't think that Satan does not walk into churches. You know, some people think they can cast out Satan from a church. A lot of us bring him with us. We bring him in. You know, Jesus said that the prince of the world comes. And he has no part in me. So if he had a part in Christ... Guess what? Christ would have carried him along with him. Yeah? When you have a hard heart, um, he has a part in you. Because he can come into that life anytime. Do you know that? Yeah? So as you, you are hearing the word, the word is getting to your heart. And Satan is just taking the word and eating it. Yeah? So when we release people, when we release people, 
and guard our heart by forgiving people, we make our hearts fertile for the word of God. A heart that is not tender towards others is not tender towards God. Doesn't matter how many times you cry in church. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What a wonder you are. If you have a hard heart, you can cry, but your heart is not tender. The word has no profit in your life. Amen. We have to uproot the bitterness by forgiveness. You know, Brother Hagen years ago um, talked about how he pastored a church for many years. I know when you've pastored a church for many years, you know, I mean, you've done the baby dedications, the kids start growing up. After a while, you start marrying the kids. The kids, you know, marry. So you know people in your church. You know how, anyway, that's another sermon. Um, so he said there was, this, there was this couple in church, very, very faithful. Very, very faithful. I mean, in fact, if you could choose members of your church, you choose those kind of people. But he realized that the woman had, um, she had a, a medical condition. And, and whenever he had healing meetings, it was always difficult for this woman to receive healing. Very difficult. Whenever they had any kind of condition, it, it was always very difficult for them to receive the healing power of God. And he observed it over the years. But he said there was another couple. These guys, if you could choose members, you know, as a pastor, you know, and I've got to say like the rest of, you know, you want faithful people, people that love the Lord, people that, you know, when you call a meeting, they show up, people that give, yeah, they don't just come and use the church. They are part of what we're doing. They believe in the vision. You don't just see them Christmas and New Year and after the building is completed. You understand what I mean? Shandai. But he said these guys, if he could choose members, it wouldn't be them. But he said the surprising thing about this couple is whenever, you know, they were out of church for a while, you know, and if they needed any kind of healing and they came into church that Sunday and he prayed for them, just like that, boom, they would receive their healing. And he wondered about it for years. So he decided that he was going to pay closer attention to these guys. He said the righteous couple... One thing about them was, even though they were righteous and they were faithful, they made sure everyone knew how righteous they were. I mean, after all, we are God's first cousins. And if somebody offended them, because they were so righteous and so self-righteous, it took ages for them to release them, to forgive, because they just felt, I mean, how dare you? Do you not know who I, who I am? But he said the other couple, even though they were not very faithful, Whenever they came back to church, they'll come to the altar and weep and cry and say, God, forgive me. You know, whenever they did wrong, they came forward and they repented. So they were quick to forgive, quick to repent, quick to walk in love, even though spiritually they were not very strong. But he noticed that the power of God could move easily in their lives. These are very practical things. The nature or the state of our heart determines the productivity of the word. If you are holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, it is a hard heart and it is determining the course of your life. Jesus said you are responsible for the state of your heart. Number two, 
he speaks about a different kind of heart. He calls it the stony heart. The stony heart. Look at Mark chapter 4. The parable of the soils. Hallelujah. Verse 16, it says, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterward, when? Everyone say when. When tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So they receive the word all right with gladness. But the Bible says the word was not rooted in them. The word was not rooted in them, so they didn't endure. Because whenever you hear the word, persecution will arise because of the word. Satan will come against the word that is sown in your heart because he wants to uproot that word from your heart. Because he knows that if the word is rooted in your heart, you will be fruitful irrespective of who is in government and... Uh, irrespective of the current state of the economy. He knows that he cannot contain you if you are fruitful. And your fruitfulness comes from revelation knowledge of the word of God. So as soon as the word is sown, he's going to come against that word. Everyone say, Satan is going to come against the word. And if that word is not rooted in your heart, he will uproot it. He will uproot it. If that word is not rooted in your heart... He will uproot it. That's why the Bible says that we're in a fight of faith. Because every time you receive revelation, if you don't plant it. You know, we talk about planting seeds. You take the seed and you do what? What is the planting process? You push it into the ground. You push it in to the ground. If that word is not rooted in your heart, when persecution comes, you let go of it. You know, David said in Psalm 119, verse 11, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So you are responsible for hiding the word in your heart. I quoted Luke 12, 35 earlier that says, A good man out of the good abundance in his heart brings forth good things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A good man out of the good abundance. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom. In all wisdom. So the word must take root in your heart. Otherwise, as soon as trouble comes, it will not endure because it's not rooted. It's not rooted. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so what is he? Hallelujah. As a man thinks in his heart, not thinks in his mind. You know, when you hear the word of God and you receive it with gladness, you've accepted it in your mind, but it hasn't gotten into your heart yet. It's like uh, Watchman Nee said that revelation comes like a flash but transformation only comes when you stare into the light. 
The word hasn't taken root in your heart yet. It is what you are thinking in your heart that you will do. Not what you are thinking in your mind. What you are thinking in your heart. You know, scientists talk about the conscious mind. And then they talk about the, the subconscious mind. Right? And they say that um, it is what is in your subconscious mind that determines your identity, what you really believe. Yeah? And our actions, when we're under pressure, our actions are based on one, what we truly believe, not what they told us in church. Uh, are you with me? So it is the thoughts of your heart that determine what you believe and what you do. Your subconscious mind is actually what the Bible calls the heart. Scientists are wrong in calling it the subconscious. Uh, if they were going to be any slightly more accurate or any more accurate, they should call it the superconscious, not the sub. The superconscious because it's more powerful than the mind. Are you with me? Just because uh, you can't see it or feel it uh, does not mean it's more, not more, it is actually more powerful because the heart is what determines the course of your life. So it is when thoughts enter into your heart and are in that heart in abundance that it actually changes what you believe and what you do. Are you with me? That is why when you are in the office, uh, it determines what you say. You can't say, listen, I'm in business now. Let us keep church to church. No. That means that the word has not taken root in your heart. It's not part of your identity. It is just part of your external armor that you use to impress people to let them know that you are still a Christian. So how does the word take root in our hearts? Remember the Bible says we should guard our hearts with all diligence. We are responsible for the state of our hearts. How do we take responsibility to ensure that the word takes root in our hearts and changes our internal identity? How do we do that? Jesus gives us the recipe. God gives us the recipe. And we're going to spend more time on this later. But suffice to say that the way the word takes root in your heart is if you meditate in the word. If you're not meditating in God's word, the word is not taking root in your heart. Yeah? You know how... Um, Farmers tell you that, you know, there are some seeds. You don't even need to push them in the, in the ground. Just throw them and they'll begin to produce, right? In the kingdom, it doesn't work that way. You've got to push that word in your heart. Yeah? Because the situation we're in is that there are a lot of external winds that will carry that seed off your topsoil if you just leave it on the surface. Because it says that persecution and affliction is going to arise because of that word. Satan is seeing what is going on. You know, the Bible says he walks to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. He wants things to be nice and satanic. So when he sees that you are in a place where you are hearing the revealed word of God, he's going to come to make sure that he, he, he removes that word if you don't plant it. The only way the word will take root in your heart is if you meditate in the word. 
The Lord said to Joshua, he said, meditate in my word day and night. <clears throat> meditate. The word meditate means to murmur. Everyone say murmur. Say it again, murmur. To murmur, 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 murmur. It comes from the Greek word melatao. It means to mutter or to murmur. To murmur. To reprogram what your heart thinks. The word must get into the region of what scientists call the subconscious mind. And it can only do so by meditation. It can only do so by meditation. You must meditate the word for it to get into your heart. For it to uproot the stones and take root in your heart. So that even when the pressure comes, the pressure of temptation, the pressure of sin, the pressure of opposing winds, that word has taken root in your heart and it begins to grow. To murmur, to murmur, to meditate, to mutter, to mutter. How do you mutter the word? Look at um, Matthew 6, 31. I'm going to bring this to a close here. Matthew 6, 31. We're talking about the soil. Because we can't plant anything if the soil is not right. This is, I'm just, I'm laying the foundation. You cannot plant anything if the soil is not right. You can try, but it's going nowhere. And this is a year where we must be productive. We must operate kingdom way. Not world way, kingdom way. This is how the kingdom works. This is how it begins. If you are serious about the productivity of the word, this is where you start. You are not going to do what your friends do. No, this is where the kingdom starts. We're going to be like Job and like Noah. Who had a, who, who, who had a singular standard for how they operated, irrespective of how the world around them was operating. Because they wanted the kingdom to produce for them. How many of us want the kingdom to produce for us? Well, this is the way. This is the way. The King James Version. I don't know if we have the King James there. The King James says, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Take no thought, saying. The New King James says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? You know, a worry is a thought, isn't it? A worry is what? It's a thought about a future which is based on fear, right? Something that hasn't happened yet. It's a thought. But it says, therefore, do not worry saying. So when you speak out a worry, you are taking the worry, aren't you? And when you take that worry... You know, a, a thought is an image, isn't it? A, a word is an image. A thought is an image. You don't think worry, W-O-R-R-Y. You think about a picture. I am not going to have enough. You see yourself not having enough. And the Bible says you take it when you say it. You take it when you say it. And when you take it, you are imprinting an image of that condition on your heart. That's how it works. You say it, you imprint the image. You say it, you imprint the image. You say it, you imprint the image. Until it becomes a stronghold in your heart. 
And then your life begins to produce it. So you might say, Abraham's blessings are mine. But what is in your heart is lack. And that's what your heart will produce. Because your heart determines. The established images within your heart are what determines the course of your life. You know, that's why lottery winners typically end up owing more within six months to a year of winning $25 million. Have you ever followed the lives of lottery winners? Very quickly. It's an amazing thing. People think there's money I need. Just give me money. And then they win the lottery. Within six months, they lost it all. And they have borrowed more money. So they end up in a worse state. Why? Because the poverty is in their hearts. And it does not matter how many opportunities you give them, how much money you give them, they will bring it back to what their heart is saying. Meanwhile, there are people that have lost fortunes. And a few years later, I mean, a guy is owing, owing a billion. You know? And then a few years later, his, his net worth is several billion more. So you can tell that the money is not what is determining the state of affairs in his life. It's his heart. He's not depressed when he's owing a billion. Because on the inside, he sees himself in a different way. Are you with me? So the Bible is saying that the thoughts of God come from a higher place. And in order for the thoughts of God to produce in your life, they must take root within your heart. And the way they take root within your heart is by murmuring the word. It's by meditating the word. It's not going to take root naturally. You are going to have to take some time out to mutter the word. To mutter it to yourself. Instead of murmuring havoc, we can murmur life by meditating in God's word. Anytime somebody walks past you, they should hear you murmuring the word. This is not going to happen naturally. Because we've been very well established in evil. You see people sneezing around, you say, well, very soon I'm going to catch it. Because every time somebody sneezes, if there's anything going, I'm the first one to get it. I don't know why the word doesn't work for me. Well, it's working for you right now. I can tell, this office, they are getting rid of people. I know I'm the first one. Last in, first out. Because after all, I came in last. So I'm going to be the first to go. You are murmuring it. Murmuring it. It's printing the picture. You even begin to plan for your next job. Because I'm leaving this place. You are murmuring it. You are murmuring it. I say, God, why don't you answer my prayer? I've been praying. At least I tithe. I go to church. I'm faithful. I'm not doing what others are doing. You are murmuring the word. You are imprinting that image in your heart. And your heart is producing death in your life. But we need to start murmuring the word. My God meets my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God meets my needs. When you murmur the word, you are always in the picture. This is not scripture memory. When you murmur the word, you are in the picture. You see yourself as a recipient of what the word says about you. You are building an internal image that is based on what the revelation of God's word and you are saying it to yourself. 
it is not about impressing anyone. It's not about changing anything in, in, on the outside. You cannot change anything on the outside if your internal life is not changed. Transformation must occur inside first before it can occur outside. It doesn't matter how positive thinking you want to be. If your heart is not filled with the word in abundance, you are not going to think positively. Because when, you, when you're not aware of what you're thinking, the, the established image that you have spent years establishing will just come up. And you're like, man, it's over for me. So we must take meditation seriously. We must take it seriously. To begin to murmur the thoughts of God until it affects our internal image. You know, there was a um, testimony that this guy gave. need to end now. Uh, Brother Copeland gave this testimony. And he was, years ago, he was just talking about how ridiculous... We act sometimes without realizing it. He said he was um, on a, on, he, he went out boating. He had a small canoe. This was years and years ago. He had a small, like, speedboat. And he went out on the lake. And he had just bought this speedboat. And you know how it is. I don't know what it is about guys. Well, women too, but particularly guys. We're very competitive, aren't we? You know? So he got on the lake and he noticed that there was somebody else that had a speedboat as well. I know how guys sort of egg each other on without even saying a word. You know, just like at the traffic lights, you know, you're driving your car, someone's driving their car, you know, and then you're, you're both on the red, and then you just, he just revs his own. And you think, okay, you think you can take me on, and you rev yours. And no one knows what's going on, but you both know what's happening. So he said a similar thing happened that day. And all of a sudden, he just took off in his speedboat, and he was trying to, you know, out, is it outrun or outdrive or outspeed this guy? And he didn't realize that there was a, there was some water, there was a, a log in the, in the lake. And as he, you know, tore across the lake, the log just went straight into, um, into the boat, and water started coming in. This was right in the middle of the lake. So he said that, um, now, this is a panic situation. So he said that this is exactly what he did. He took his shirt off, and then he took his watch off because the watch was quite expensive, and he didn't want the, he didn't want the watch to get wet. So he wrapped the watch. He wrapped the shirt around the watch to keep the watch from getting wet, even though the boat and everybody was sinking into the water. <laughs> You see, that, that is what we do when we get into persecution situations. It is what is in your heart that comes out. It is not what you learned in Sunday school. It is what has established in itself in your heart that comes out. And that is why the Bible says, let the word take root in your heart. Don't keep it superficial. Meditate in the word. Mutter the word. Murmur the word day and night. For the Bible says, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success.